0: So hello and welcome to another episode of the SME Growth Podcast from Wellmeadow. Uh, I'm Dave Parry and with me as ever is as Richard. Hi uh, Richard. But today we are very lucky, we are joined by
1: a special guest, Joe Lockley. Hi Joe. Hi, nice, uh, Hi. nice to see you and thanks for having me today. No, that's thanks right. for
0: coming in. We were really interested in your business and project and we thought what a great podcast that's going to be. So glad you can come in and tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And I've got to say, a lot of people have, um, have taken interest as we're growing. I think that when people have heard about, about Bright Star, they think it's just a, a boxing club. So it's really nice to explore with you guys a lot deeper than, than just the boxing.
0: Yeah, it's great. Well, I think that's leading us straight in there. So, what is it? What is Bright Star? And if it's not just a boxing club, just tell us for those of listening who haven't heard of it before, what Bright Star is.
1: Yeah, so Bright Star uses boxing education and mentoring to help young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Help showing that regardless of what they've been through. can still thrive really and i guess um it hasn't when when it started didn't expect it to kind of become what it is but just kind of that we've been able to keep our why strong but respond to a lot of the different changing environment to really change our how
0: Mm, that sounds fascinating i wonder if it's worth winding the clock back a bit to your life before bright star you know how on earth did you come to the point where bright star Happened? What are what the things that happened to you and your experiences that, that, that made that a good idea?
1: Yeah, well, I guess Bright Star started accidentally, really. Um, and it was because I've kind of made a lot of changes in my life, um, which have, have led to me kind of becoming the person I am today. And I guess all of the changes that have been made have been seen by a lot of, a lot of local people. And it was that how it all started was there was a parent who attended uh, the gym that I go to. Um, and they spoke to myself and my friend Stu and they said we've seen the changes you guys have made Um, how have you done it, what's happened and I kind of told them a little bit about my story told them a little bit about Stu's story and the parents said my son really needs you guys they really need someone like you can you help them make the changes because they're being passed from different negative services they've been passed from police, local authorities, care homes can you help them Mm. and I'll be honest at that time I was a bit kind of I was a bit worried I I didn't have a clue how did I know about any sort of therapy at that point I was like I don't know if we can generally help but we're both boxers you know we can hold the pads yeah Yeah. we can Mm -hmm. hold the pads for them and see what happens (laughs) (laughs) you know what every Tuesday at five o'clock him and five of his friends there were six of them they came along and literally it was that we held the pads for them we taught them to box and I thought that's all that it was I didn't realize the magic that was happening and Mm. It was only kind of when we were two months into it that we were getting phone calls from local authority, from social workers, from uh, parents, from care homes, saying these people have massively changed our lives. How so it are we just doing started
0: it? happening. So what were you doing in the gym before then that triggered the parents to spot something? What were you doing? Yeah, there? I
1: think the, the gym that I went to is, is a really local gym, a local community where everyone kind of mm. chats and knows mm. each other and everything like that. And I generally was hitting the punch bag on the on the bags there, and it was kind of. Um, that those that knew me I grew up in that local area, they knew that in the past, you know, I'd be kind of getting in trouble. I'd struggle sometimes with my emotions. I'd feel like I didn't fit in um, and it was boxing when I kind of started to, to box, when I started to do sport in general, that's what gave me a belonging, a sense mm. of purpose. Uh, that's what really gave me that control I needed. That's where I really felt like I, had, I, I could thrive and that was the area I did and it was where I was truly authentically myself. So those parents
0: had seen that transformation in you personally, not you weren't coaching anybody else at that stage, it was just you going through, you know, picking up a new sport and throwing yourself at it and getting really enthusiastic.
1: Exactly, yeah. And I think that parents was kind of like, out of ideas, out of options, didn't know how to help their Mm -hmm. son. Um, And I'll be honest, I think that's what it was at the time, I guess, we didn't do any kind of um, behaviour techniques, it was giving them a sense of belonging where they needed it most, it was giving them that ability to thrive, that control over their life. And we were positive male role models who would show up consistently at the same time every week, and we didn't realise the impact that that or just being had. reliable, you mean mm. exactly? Uh, exactly. Experience before, and and you know the the bit where it kind of opened my eyes a lot was when a young person said to me, "said I feel like I can trust you, and I've never felt like I can trust anyone." And that's, mm. massive. Right. that's massive. That's massive for that's what huge, they've been yeah. through in their life to be able to do that is mm. is amazing. I guess for me as my coaches, were the ones I could trust a lot. Um, and, yeah. and that could
0: be even at a level of just trusting you to turn up, right through to trusting you if they wanted to share some, some, how they're feeling or whatever. They could trust you on a number of
1: levels. 100% that consistency, just just, mm. just turning up, just being there for them. And just listening. I guess listening is a really key part of it because I didn't know about all the things that I, I know now about how to bring up these subjects, how to talk to them about it. I was just there to listen. And when that person talks about something, they can feel a lot better and they can start to ask themselves the right questions, which then empowers them for their own solutions. So that was really the worth it. And it was kind of after a couple of months, it, we said, what do you want to achieve out of this? And they went, I want to have, have boxing matches now. I'm ready to do it all. And mm-hmm. I want to be part of something where we all wear the same T-shirts and kit. So we said to them, we said, what would you like to call our, our boxing club? And I'll look at how to do it, how to set it all up and everything. What would you like to call it? And they came back the week later and they said, we want to be called Bright Star. And I was like, hold on, that's not shift nor Boxing no All Boxing Club's are named after their town. Why Bright Star? And he said to me, he said, you can only see a bright star on a dark night. And that's where we've come from. And straight in my head, I was like, hold on. The teachers told me that you weren't very intelligent and you struggled mm-hmm. in school. You've just come that's up very with profound. the best that's idea. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And that was the birth huh. of Bright Star that they came up with it. But I guess following that, there was a lot of... A lot of um, Things that happened that we we weren't happy with, and I guess we just adapted and kind of went on from there. So, how long ago was was that that initial cohort that came through? Start of twenty sixteen that was the first six people were there. Twenty sixteen, I guess, the end of the of twenty sixteen. That's when we formed it into Bright Star Boxing Academy. But I guess starting Bright Star Boxing Academy, that was probably one of the worst things that that happened at that point because when you advertise a boxing club. It was boxers that came. Everyone that came was from other local clubs. Everyone that came was already athletic. They were all males. And, I, and at that point, I sat down with, with Stu and I said, this isn't what I want. I don't want to be part of this. I wanted to use it as a way to help people, not to create another boxing club, which all these people are already going to at the boxing clubs. Um, and that was a big kind of turning point because he was completely on board. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right, we need to do this differently. So that led to us asking the questions of, how can we introduce other people to this sport, the ones that we want to reach? Which is where we started mental health support groups. It's where we started referral pathways, working with other people, and at that point, we came up with the, the reason why we want to do it: we want to help people from disadvantaged backgrounds to be able to thrive. That so was really. Key I'm to intrigued
0: us. then because you didn't go out to market yourselves to any particular segment and you attracted a load of existing boxers, by the sounds of it. people already into boxing and wanted to come along to a new club or whatever. And you decided that's not quite the direction it was taking you in. And I guess other people listening to this might have similar experiences where their business almost gets led by the nose in a direction, which sometimes is really powerful and useful and that's exactly what you want, but not always. And in this case, it wasn't It wasn't what you wanted, really. So, So how did you then steer it back without being very blunt to all these other people saying, you're not welcome, because I'm sure it's, it wasn't quite as blunt as that.
1: Yeah, and that's a really key point there. I think there's a lot of businesses that I've, I've seen, that I've worked with, that all, it's brilliant to be led by the customer. That's absolutely amazing. But they'll lose their, they'll lose themselves. They'll lose their why, their key purpose. And I think that's a question we've got to keep asking ourselves. Why do I do this? And is that achieving that why? And that's, we've got to be really flexible rather than that kind of storming in an approach of, oh no, this is what I want to achieve. This is how I want to go there. Um, and that's what we did. So we, we still kept the boxing club in the evenings. It's an open session. But we wanted the young people that we were getting referred to our other programmes to be able to eventually access that club. What I thought is we're going to be working f- for them young people for a short time until we can help empower them. We don't want them to come reliant on us. But then when they are empowered, brilliant, let's invite them into the evening sessions where they are able to compete. They're able to take on bouts. So we still kept an element of that that's not the core focus of it but it's there as for us to feed all these young people into well, that's and still a clear this. so and you didn't have to stop
0: doing what was happening naturally but you added something else on which meant you had to spend more time I suppose at another session and you made it quite clear that that was for a different type of audience that that was the the type of the lads that came along in 2016 that their their successors, if you like that was so you just put that message out so you didn't get the the big experience boxes coming into those sessions that clearly wasn't for them
1: yeah so the other sessions were all referral bases only but I knew that these experienced boxers these people were brilliant people for these young people to be around hmm. um, but I, the way that they're, that we're working with them is so different so they've got to compete quite, at quite a high level in boxing so some of the work is very hard very challenging sometimes the coaching is a lot more disciplined whereas you've got to have more of a trauma informed way of coaching the other group so as they're ready that's we can feed them into this session that's where they can sustain as part of Bright Star and really feel part of the family here.
0: So you had to evolve that because earlier you didn't have the training and you just did boxing coaching like you would normally. But now you've since learnt that for certain types of inju- individuals coming along, you've got to take a, a different approach. You say trauma-informed. You just need to know where boundaries are different, perhaps.
1: Yeah, well. I, guess, I guess that's where, that's what led to me. I knew this was, the, this was the why, this was the purpose. So all of my training consisted around how to work better with these young people how to really help them what are the what are the psychological techniques we can do to work with these young people and I was not an expert in that field at all but I was very very passionate about working supporting young people so I dedicated all of my life really to how can I better support them how can I be the best I can to be able to support them and how did you
0: pick up those skills then how did you get that expertise
1: I suppose I spoke to people who were in the fields uh when we were creating referral pathways we were getting referrals from organizations such as uh mind local authorities we w- were i went into them and i said i'll be honest with you how can i work better with these young people and they recognize they recommended me so many different courses on um, nlp cbt ddp all these different courses that are all around psychology and i said like, hold on i'm a boxing coach now mm. and I, how do i how can a boxing coach offer these so that's where the programs were created to be able to shape not just the boxing and right now the boxing is a minimal part of it. Um, boxing is how they'll start the session and how they'll end the session. And the young people feel like they're coming to a boxing club? But the behaviour techniques really underpin all the work we do.
0: I'm quite interested that it, that it happened with boxing. You know, I'm wondering, would it have worked as well with other sports? Because you hear about you know, maybe someone who's a football coach or something having a similar purpose. But with boxing, I can imagine just because of the nature of it, you're in one small enclosed space. It's much more intimate, isn't it? Whereas with football, for example, you're running around all over the field, even in training sessions. You probably don't have the same chances for the type of interactions you get. So, so do you think boxing was almost the magic ingredient? Or could it have been any one of a number of different activities?
1: I would say if you look for what I said before, them, them needs, that purpose, that control, that belonging, that can be met by any sport. However... Boxing has an ability to reach those young people that need that most. Boxing has, when you're boxing, you're expressing the things that are overwhelming you in that moment. When you're boxing, someone's holding past, you develop such a cl- close bond with that coach. And when you're going to to bouts, when you know you're going to go to war, you've got to be able to trust in the people behind you and around you. So boxing does have unique elements, but I believe the style that we're approaching the sport can be adapted for, for other sports too.
0: Mm. And you, you mentioned a few times the fact that you're very purpose-driven. It's all about the why. Did you have a very clear way of articulating that right from the beginning? Have you got sort of a set phrase that stuck with you or is even the way you talk about your why, has that evolved as well over the years?
1: Yeah, I guess um, our culture has been created around the, around the why. Our values have been created around the why. Um, I guess all the members of staff that we have they are there they have been through it themselves they have lived experience they are, can show so much empathy so i guess empowering people to th- thrive the mission there has always remained the same and everything that we do every new project we create every response to people we have that mission in mind
2: so you, you talk about staff there so we, you're saying it you started off with you and Stu and six lads or whatever where are you at today
1: whatever. yeah so now we've got over 30 members of staff and we're supporting uh, 600 people every week wow so it's incredible quite incredible growth there yeah in, in six
0: years really seven years yeah,
1: yeah well, well i guess we didn't expect it to be like that at all we just responded to a demand and filled in the gap i know that the there is a big risk with us growing too fast as well um so what we're trying to do is get all the foundations and everything right but we have got an incredible team that are all so passionate about it. And because of that, they've been able to impact young people. And because of obviously the COVID crisis, everything's happened. There's been a lot more young people struggling um, and we don't want to let them young people go on a waiting list for two to three years until yeah. they get to crisis stage. You want to support them at the earliest possible So time. you've never
0: slowed down the growth then for fear of not being able to cope or deliver a good enough service. You've just taken all comers and had to just sort of hold on tight, go for the ride, really.
1: I'll be honest, fear is what stopped me making a lot of key decisions in my life fear is actually what stopped me making the decision to leave a brilliant full-time job to go into this full-time and fear's driven a lot of different decisions which has stopped us growth so I've been able to kind of use that fear a little bit differently now and that's a kind of key message for for anyone really that's that's listening it's um I guess there's two driving forces within your life and that's the fear of um that's that's fear and that's gaining pleasure as well. So it's pleasure and pain are the two things that are driving you. And what I found is that I was so much more, I was so much more driven to avoid fear than I was from gaining pleasure. That stopped me from making so many key decisions because I used to think, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And I'd used to have to get to hundred percent certainty before I even started to make a decision. Um, and what I found is that the fear of doing that is a lot easier to deal with than the fear of regret. So that's what I try and do now. I think, okay, well, if I didn't make this decision, what implication can that have? So I'm still driven by fear, but I try and shift it around and use fear in a way to, to support me. So yeah, like, like you were saying there, Dave, it's kind of, it hadn't stopped us from growing. Now, now we get to this stage, but at the very start, them six boxes, I was happy to just work with them six boxes in the gym and never actually take on Bright Star. I was very happy to be in a full-time job and not let Bright Star grow until I started to realise that I was being driven by fear then.
0: Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? You didn't have to reframe your driver to say, no, I'm now in it for the gain. It sounds like you've, you've always been just using the fact that your your innate response is about a fear of something. So you just turned it around to the fear of not doing it rather than the fear of doing it.
1: That yeah, 100%. And I guess now, for people who know me now and didn't know me before, they would think I'm a big risk taker. Um, but actually, at the time, I definitely wasn't. When was you don't feel
0: that way, you don't feel you're taking risks.
1: Um, i guess, I guess now, um, the decisions that I'm taking, they'll only come to me, and if, if it's a really key decision, it is a bit big risk, and I guess when we're working with 30 members of staff, there's a lot more risk. Every decision I make can have an impact on them. Um, what I found is that the worst decision is not making one, and mm. that's where it kind of leads and spirals out, so I've started to make a lot of decisions when I'm 51% sure. Rather than ninety-nine or hundred percent sure. And that is where that is that is one of the main reasons why we got to where we are now because of the ability to not be afraid of failure and make them decisions quick.
2: That's, yeah, I think that's that's something that we see a lot. of. Have you ever seen Point Break with Patrick Swayze? Yeah, that's in, it. In, in that and he says fear fear will cause hesitation, and hesitation causes your worst nightmares to come true. And that's always stuck with me. It's quite and I think we've seen that over the years with loads of businesses that that hesitation stops the opportunity because of fear or, or like you say, that uncertainty that then just drives this behavior of, we'll put it off to the next meeting or we'll kick the can down the road. And then that becomes a kind of almost a culture then, doesn't it? So like what you're saying there, I think will resonate with a lot of people and hopefully inspire them in a way to say, look, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong, but you can fail fast and, and learn from it, can't you?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of people that we've worked with over the years in our Will journey that are exactly like that. Yeah. They, they fear so much getting it wrong they'd rather wait to the 100% threshold of being sure and of course someone who doesn't do anything never gets anything wrong so they plod along and, and then events overtake you
2: well you
1: never get to 100% certainty either that's that's the catch isn't it really yeah if you if you stay in your comfort zone you'll fail in your comfort zone that's what I've found and mm-hmm. I bet you all these people that, that you speak to if they're advising someone else what to do they would tell them to make that decision whether it be right or wrong yeah, interesting. but when you're doing <laughs> yeah. it yourself you've got emotion attached to that situation mm. and emotion is what stops the decision being made. Yet, if they would think about it, giving advice to someone else, that's the best way to get around that fear journey. And then when they make a decision, it's then committing to that decision, not making it going, oh no, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should go back. Okay, and right. Instead, go and take it to, if you have So you have made decision, it, you've gone
0: through a door, Close the door behind you. 100%, that's it, that's mm, it. yeah. The you new got, reality the is now what you're dealing with. Yeah,
1: that decision's been made. Every time your mind says, oh no, I shouldn't do that, that decision's been made now, let's go with it. Yeah, and then then let's see where it takes us. And that's easier said than done. Now, listening, like people say, yeah, yeah, definitely. But when it comes to the emotion in that, the emotion will stop. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I was just interested in the culture
0: aspects. You mentioned that earlier, and you know, Lenkione's model of how successful teams do well and succeed and stuff, and it's all about that underlayer of trust. So presumably, you've had to build a culture of very strong trust so that you can afford to make mistakes. Yeah, I I guess Okay.
1: Yeah, that that's what trauma informed is very much about. It's about trust. It's about um, the culture is, that we've got. It's all about that accountability. It's about them having ownership and control over their decisions. And I think that's really, really key. And it's very hard if someone's worked in a completely different environment for them to come in and be comfortable around that. But it is very relaxed. It's very much enjoyment. And it's when when you're taking on a lot of um, a lot of trauma from other people, it's very, very hard for them to be able to deal with that. So the environment we've got to create. It's got to be in a way that they can be able to take that on and still know that there's support around them, Mm. and it's there and be able to thrive for your staff. You mean, yeah, for the staff. That's it, and that's why I I know our values are self-discipline, teamwork, aspiration, respect, and that's something that that every single person at every touch point of our organisation they can feel their values. Mm. They can feel it, even the young people when they walk Mm. into the businesses we're working with, they can feel that, and that's really, really key, even in terms of recruitment that value and values are so much more I, important than skills as well
0: if I were to come into your offices and ask anybody of your 30 what the values that they'd be able to trot those off yeah, I don't I, know I, it's just a gut <laughs> feel right but I, they spell star which is handy right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah harmonic. the star
1: values yeah that, yeah that probably is is very handy I, I, I'd hope so yeah I'd hope so I guess that they'd be able to that they'd be I guess the main thing is rather than be able to say that I'd hope that if you walked in there you'd be able to feel their values yeah. you ought to see the respect even the, the young people we've working with they'll shake your hand when you walk through the door and I think that's really really
0: Okay. That's is interesting, isn't
1: it? So yeah, I was going to say talking about getting out of your comfort zone.
2: What what are you doing so you you've been on this journey from, you know, 6 kids to 400 now is that you're working with? Is 600? Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um that so where where are you
1: where are you taking it now? How are you stepping out of your comfort zone now? Yeah, so now I guess now is a a very big time for us. So we've um we've expanded the program from Shropshire. Um, And, you know, the challenges of rural isolation, everything like that. We're now into Wolverhampton. We've got a full programme in Wolverhampton, into Walsall as well. And it's just about to start in Birmingham, which opens up a lot of different challenges. What I want to prove is that this model works, that sport can run differently, that everyone cross-sectionally can work from the education sector to the youth justice sector to the sports sector, can work together differently to support young people. And, you know, our mission to empower all young people to thrive I know for a fact there's two billion people in the world we're not going to achieve that mission but what we're really interested in is that journey that that destination taking steps to be able to prove this model and it can go nationally you know we're working with a lot of partners internationally now working with UNESCO we're kind of working with some other countries some ministers to actually show that sports development can work in a different way and we're just really excited for the the journey not just the destination and that kind of influencing that empowering other organizations is really really key for us
2: as a as a leader in the business so you we did a podcast a few weeks ago around the different stages of growth of a business based on uh shakespeare's uh what was it Oats as, you, it. Like it. as yeah. you like it as you like it and we were talking there about just as a as a business goes as you as it evolves and grows it goes through different stages are, are you finding that now as a leader you've got to change the way that you're like managing the team or leading or working with different partners?
1: How's that How's that journey shaped you over the last couple of years? Yeah, I've got to say, when I started this, I didn't expect it to even be a, a business. I thought it was holding the pads for some people. So I didn't have any idea around business management. That was one of the things that stopped me, really, because I was like, I don't know anything about marketing. I don't know anything about accounts. What's going to happen here? But it's bringing in them people that have that understanding. I don't have to know everything about everything. I'm just going to have the correct skill stack be able to take this to the to the next level and yeah the changes are so different i i really enjoy and i love working directly with young people as this grows i'm now not able to work with young people as anywhere near as much as i'd like and i've got to be able to trust and empower people to be able to take that on we've recently hired an operations manager so i'm one more step removed and having the structure in place is fundamental especially in the roles that they've got where they're supporting the young people directly they take on a lot of that They've got to have the right structure to be able to escalate things as well. As we've grown wider, we're looking at area managers, we're looking at how they're supported by another regional manager, how that's all supported there. So the structure and the changes and my own knowledge is changing so, so much. And yeah, I guess that's where it comes to me taking more steps of being afraid, but still enjoying that journey. And I always think, I was advised by the first mentor around this that I ever had. They said, um, find out what... uh, Other boxing clubs are doing and do that. And I guess that was probably the worst advice ever because (laughs) we we could not have anything unique. And what we've kind of done now is paved the way for other people to follow. And that's really, really important. And if I thought at the start, if I thought this is where I want to get to and looked at where I am am now, I wouldn't have done it because it feels like I've got to move Mount Everest. No one's done that. How can I do that? Mm. But at the start, I just knew I needed to move one pebble. And that's slowly becoming into into Mount Everest there. And, yeah, we, we still don't know how far we can take this. We have set goals. We have looked at that. We are doing unique, different things. But we're really, really kind of looking forward to the next steps and next steps and next steps. And my understanding is going to keep growing as that happens.
0: Just following on from Richard's question there, really. Because the, the style of leadership you have as a business grows has to change sometimes people find that they're suited to a particular part of the journey some people are great startup entrepreneurs but you know doesn't want to don't want to take it through the middle phase or other people are career professional big business managers and couldn't survive in a small business for toffee do you think you're able to adapt throughout that whole journey you've already done it a lot to go from a boxing coach who didn't even want a business through to someone now who's employing 30 people and helping 600 odd youngsters do you think if it's 10 times bigger you'd still be good at the helm but you just have to step back from doing some of the day-to-day
1: yeah I guess it's it's a good question because what I found for myself and for employing any staff as I said before it's not necessarily the skills that matter it's their passion it's their values and I think that that's the values that's the passion that I live and I breathe I know for a fact when it gets to the next step I'm not going to know or probably be the best person to be able to be leading it but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna understand what the right skills to have from that are, who are the right people to bring in that lack like my, mm. my skills there, and then we can still, we know, I know that, although I don't know what it looks like, I know that I can take it to the next level because I can bring in the right people and because the passion I have, the curiosity I have to do that as well is right, and the people around us, you know, if you look at the the other directors at Brightstar, the coach, the staff, they are all sharing their values, they're all sharing the passion, they're all sharing the belief that we can get to the next level. With so even if you bring
0: different skills around you to do the job, it sounds like you're casting yourself as being the owner of the values. You're the guardian to make sure that everybody else is living those values and behaving them. And the recruits that you bring in are the same. And if you get that bit right, and the skills come in, then the rest should just sort of work. Right? Yeah, the right combination.
1: And I guess now, because it's at the stage where it is, naturally, the people that we're bringing in are adopting their values. And if they don't, They naturally find that they're not a fit we don't have to say you're not fitting into our values they realize that they do feel like hold on now i'm not doing this for the right reasons i'm not sharing their values and they will we had it before they will leave because they're not Mm. feeling that right person and that's really really important because some of the people we bring in have them values but not the skills and they can quite easily learn the skills but we've not found anyone that can learn values
0: do you find that some people come in and try and take too much of a business approach you're a very purpose led organization. If tribute you, turned it into a business so you, you can pay people salaries and, and have full time staff. But that's, that's a kind of annoying in a way, isn't it? Because presumably you don't take all the income from mm. the people who benefit from your your club. You get other grant funding and other types of sources of income, I guess, don't you? Yeah. Would you find people are just taking it a bit too businessy and trying to push you too far down that road rather than um, core values?
1: I guess there's got to be an element of business. I think that's one thing I've had to understand that if we give everything away for, for free, we're not going to be able to grow or sustain. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's young people that will miss out from that. Um, but again, that's one thing that I didn't really know myself. But we have had people being brought in to help with that business element of things. You know, we've had people that brought in around accounts, around bid writing, around understanding. We've had mentors that brought in for that. Um, so in terms of the re- roles we recruit, they're necessarily. Um, roles that will manage staff or roles that will do a lot of the delivery work we haven't necessarily had to bring in that's purely for the business and I think that's because you know it's very evident the values and everything we're working with that naturally if there's someone who was more more business minded it wouldn't be a right fit for the organization I think the key thing is that everyone understands the work we're doing and why we're doing it
0: now one of our colleagues Hannah is working with you quite closely on the impact of yeah. the work, is that quite important to be able to win the next bid and the next bit of funding? Have you got to be able to demonstrate that you're having an impact?
1: Yeah, co- collecting the impact is so key. And again, these are things that, that you don't think about when you just wanna, wanna help as many people as possible, but these are things that will help us be able to help more people. Um, but collecting the impact, one, will help us understand, is it working what we're doing? How do we know, how can we adapt what we're doing to make it work much better? Um, and I think the things that you measure are the things that you'll change. Um, so that's really, really important for us. And then also, as well as looking at if, it, if it's working or not, we want to demonstrate, okay, it is working. How can we use this in this example to be able to spread the work we're doing wider across the country, to be able to get additional grant funding in, but to be able to be demonstrate that sport can be used in such a different way to support young people, and it shouldn't be seen as a, Nice to do, it should be seen as a must do, especially for early intervention.
0: So, have you found already that some of the work on impact has shown up things that just aren't working so well and you've done less of that? Or has it tended to be more positive and just reinforcing the things that you thought would be working?
1: I I think working with someone like Hannah to do that helps so much because I'll be honest, because I really want it to work, if I led the impact side of things, I would say a little bit like, oh no, th- these people only said this because of this. And I'd look for excuses why well, I'd, I'd create a kind of a confirmation bias because mm-hmm. I, want, I want it to work. So having someone external come in to be able to measure that, they can quite easily justify if it is or isn't working. So yes, we've had elements of things that haven't been working as well. We've had to make it kind of, like I've said, we've been flexible to our how, but really strict and our why. So we've had to adapt elements of the programme. So we know the young people we're getting are the right young people. That's the first bit. Okay, That's what the impact has shown us. We know that as a result of this, they're improving their mental health. But how can we further develop on some of this work? How else can we support mm. them? What are the other needs they've got? And that's what some of the impact has kind of led to us from understanding. And that's where we're kind of looking for the next set of data and how we can expand that.
0: So does that mean you might branch out and do things other than boxing alongside it? Or will it always be centred on boxing?
1: I guess boxing is a real U- is a real USP for us. And it's kind of like boxing is kind of, introduced a lot of young people to us when they think they're walking to a boxing club. It's really, really helped. What I would say is there a, is a big stigma around boxing. A lot of people aren't coming because they think, oh no, to be a boxer, you've got to look like a 90s Mike Tyson and I'm, I'm yeah. not looking like that. Or mm. you've got to be really confident. And then people also think, I've had a lot of people refer and say, no, this young person is quite aggressive. We don't want them to learn boxing because they'll learn how to hit us, which is not the case at all. Every young person, will learn the respect, they'll learn the discipline, they'll learn all the values around it. So I wouldn't ever rule it out, but I'd say at the moment it's a key focus for us to actually change that stigma and show that boxing isn't just about creating champions, it's about using the sport to help people champion their life too.
2: And without giving any kind of confidential information away, have, have you got any stories around you know kids that have come through really in a really positive way? So we're talking about data here that can all... That's all, you know, positive in one sense. But what's the human side of it? Have you got,
1: you know, a tale to tell around someone who's really come through or? Yeah, well, we've got so, so so many. We've got, um, so we've got young people that have actually progressed through the program and now actually work for us full time, which is brilliant for such a short, short space of time. Uh, We've got one young person um, who I spoke to yesterday who, when they met us, they were in a kind of real hopeless place. They tried to take their own life, which is why they referred to us now they are actually started their own DJ business. And as well as the DJ, they do inspirational talks on what they've been through and to help other people. And hearing that ripple effect go on is is incredible. That's an amazing story. Yeah, and we've got young people, I suppose. One quote that sticks with me, is a young person said to me, um, I felt like I was thick because I wasn't doing well at school. But after meeting you guys, I feel like I can use my skills in such different ways. And there's things that I can be really smart at. And I think that's a really key kind Mm. of, quote to underpin the the work we're doing it's all about them understanding and not seeing themselves compared to other people them seeing themselves independently and really loving themselves regardless of what's happened in the past Them loving themselves and having belief in that future
0: With such strong stories behind you and your passion comes across are you not impatient about you know don't you just want one of these clubs to be in every town in the country like next week you know why can't we get there now how do you rein in that Impatience and just deal with that one pebble at a time metaphor.
1: Yeah, that's that's a real tricky thing for me um, because I I am very much like let's just go and do it let's let's get it all there but I'm quite I'm surrounded by the right people who aren't afraid to say no Joe don't don't do that don't be silly this is going to happen and kind of help me look at the long terms and I guess when I see it all as a as a long term plan I see some of the journey that we're going on and I think that um, the man who Enjoys walking, will walk further than the man who loves a destination. And that's what I'm really enjoying that journey, that process, that the day to day of it is brilliant. If I look back at some of the biggest achievements, the highlights there, I thought, will it be when we achieve that goal? Will it be when we got to this stage? Will it be when we got to that stage? And actually, they're amazing. But the things I love the most are the day to day things because I know the journey we're on. I know the process. I know the people around me.
0: So, how do you describe your vision then? If it's less about getting to a place and enjoying the journey. How do you put into words what it is that you're aiming for?
1: Yeah, I guess I guess the vision that, that is still to empower all young people to thrive. That is that is where we where we are there, but we need to do that one person at a time. That's really really key and I know for a fact if we went out there and we had okay, let's work with another 10,000 people, the quality that we'd have for each young person would fade completely. And we need to make sure that every one young person we're working with matters it's not just right 600 people brilliant every single one of them has their own story they have their own journey we need to be able to adapt to that and work with people more people one person at a time and not grow at a rate where we're going to lose the quality from that delivery because the quality is what's going to help us to grow in the future
0: mm. so what's your what's your biggest challenge then what's holding you back at the moment
1: um it's a good question i guess the biggest challenge is going to be the Ability for some organisations to change, I guess. When Outside go, of your organisation, yeah. When we go into new areas, because this is new, so let's say some boxing clubs. We want to work with the lo- local boxing clubs and empower them. Some boxing clubs are about creating champions. It's very hard to change your mindset around that. Some schools, some local authorities, they have a certain way of dealing with behaviour, dealing with trauma, dealing with the the impacts that that has, and that is kind of like this is the way that we're gonna to continue to do it. So it's around changing the mindset of them, changing the mindset about all these sectors and bringing them all together and getting schools to have a different way of referring young people, getting local authorities to understand a different approach, getting boxing clubs to adapt the way they're doing things, getting all the different sectors to react so, so differently. So we're, I think if we can continue to raise the impact, the evidence and the awareness, that's something that which we can help them change their minds.
0: Do you, when you get visitors does that help change people's minds? Do you ever get people from a local education authority elsewhere in the country coming to visit Giffenall and having yeah. a look at what you're doing, speaking to some of the young people does Definite, that not yeah.
1: persuade them on the spot? If we can get them through the doors and they can do that, brilliant, yes we can definitely change where they're doing things getting through the doors is the hardest bit and I always say to young people the hardest steps they'll make is the ones through the door it's exactly the same for any teachers, local authorities, anyone we're working with to be able to do that because they've already got systems, processes in place and understand if they're working, then absolutely brilliant, but we know that we can take it a little bit further and support them a lot more. So if we can get them through the doors, yes, definitely we can help change their mind around it. If they could send one young person to us, we know you can make a change that young person, they could use that as an evidence base for the rest of them. But that's why a lot of the impact work is really, really important for us.
0: Mm. And if you had one wish that I could grant you now that could come true today, what, what would you want to use that for?
1: Um, I guess that, that would be different from a business side of things to, to an overall, overall wish. I think that a real big wish would be for sport to be seen and young people to be seen to that, that as, a, as a must do as a need to do for sport to be used more for young people that can work with trauma and whether that's for Brightstar working with them whether that's for all of the sports club to be able to adapt a slightly different approach whether that is for schools and local authorities to refer in that would be amazing but I guess I know that would support so, so many young people.
0: And is it your belief then that there's a sport for everyone? Because I I'm should sure, I'm sure imagine lots of kids feel, you know, sport's great, that's what they love, but some others maybe feel that sport isn't for them. Does, does that create a barrier for you to be able to produce this sort of support for them?
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess people that think sport's for them, isn't for them, is normally because they've had a negative experience within a sport, um, and that can be done. And I'll, I've seen it before. I've seen coaches that treat a sports session like a military session. If you've been through trauma, if you've seen domestic abuse at home, something like that's happened, and you've got a coach that's screaming in your face, okay, press ups, burpees, whatever it is, that's gonna really create them to, for the rest of their life thinking, sport isn't for me. And I think sport can be adapted and people can be trained, people should be trained to be in that way where they can see that a little bit different. And again, people, some people say school isn't for everyone. And if it's taught the wrong way, then it's not. So I think that there is a sport for everyone if it's coached in the right way. School can be for everyone if it's taught in the right way.
0: Very powerful stuff, isn't it? it really, I think isn't
1: it. Yeah, it's Very inspiring. Help yeah. can I do this. Yeah. Assessment. <laughs> double. Yeah. Uh, double Stop impact talking impact. on a podcast and go
2: do some work. Go do that. some <laughs> work. Yeah. Go and tell someone else about it.
0: That's great yeah. that you're prepared to come in and give us the lowdown on this on the podcast because hopefully this will reach a, a wider audience now. And I can't help that some people will be listening, thinking how how can I help that? That sounds like such a worthy cause. Lots of people volunteer in their own time. Are there avenues for people to to help or is it not sort of support you're looking for?
1: Yeah, definitely. We're we're reliant on volunteers. So although we've got kind of every 30 members staff, we also have an additional 30 volunteers which help Bright Star to run, help Bright Star to support. So definitely. And if people listen to this and change a little bit of mindset around sport education, amazing. Or if people get benefits for their own organisation, perfect. I think that's what it's all around. And I guess everyone's got to have the role models they look up to we tell the young people and for me the people that I look up to are the people that have really gone against what everyone said so if you look at people like let's say Edmund Hillary for example people were told it's impossible to climb Mount Everest the air pressure's too thin there you'll never be able to make it Edmund Hillary was like no no I don't agree with all the scientists here I can do it straight away loads of people followed and then yeah it was done same as roger bannister it's impossible to run a four minute mile you know you can't get your uh, lung capacity to that high you can't keep up that pace roger bannister proved it and loads of people followed that that wavelength so if i can help people to do things different against the grain amazing
0: Dude, i wonder if there's people as well wanting to set up an organization similar to what you've done maybe somewhere else in the world let alone somewhere else in in the uk they presume you get inquiries all the time from people trying to do that or has it not got to that stage yet where other people are trying to copy the model
1: yeah we did we do get some um some inquiries about how to in fact i'm talking to him this afternoon he wants to set up something similar and i'm, I'm more than happy to help and kind of share the wisdom because at the end of the day that will help us achieve our vision of empowering all young people to thrive so mm-hmm. if we can support in any way absolutely brilliant you know we, we meet with a lot of different countries on how to change their approach we've meeting with the kind of former Yugoslavian region around they don't do any work on sport development All their work is around elite performance because they've seen if we invest in elite performance then people are going to see them doing amazing they're going to want to get into the sport and actually we're showing there's wider benefits to sports development there's wider benefits to actually helping young people for in terms of reduced crime improved mental health there's lots of issues they're having they're not dealing with because of not promoting or not investing a bit differently into sports development
0: Brilliant isn't
1: it? Awesome Inspiring. Thank you very much Joe really good of you to
0: come in so there you go I hope that there's been something in that last half an hour or so that whatever organization you're running you can pick something out of that that inspires you because I'm sure Joe's story's got lots of elements to it whether it be around the vision and the values or just that uh, fear of not doing something so great messages there Joe thank you very much for that you've been listening to the SME growth podcast and as ever please subscribe and like our output and share it with your friends and we'll see you again next week